You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is the Spoken Edition of Wired. Palo Alto Networks has the broadest, most comprehensive cybersecurity for private cloud, public cloud, and SaaS environments because secure clouds are happy clouds. Protect yours today at go.paloaltonetworks.com slash secure clouds. Enough with the unoriginal sci-fi. Looking at you, life by Angela Watercutter. Science fiction cinema has a long-standing problem. Good ideas abound, but great ones are in short supply, and most of the good ones have been used. After decades of drought, 2001 A Space Odyssey spawned Solaris and Star Wars and Alien, and the genre became popular, but pulpily so. Parades of familiar tropes spackled over with terrible visual effects. And now, in the age of mind-bending and somehow relatively affordable CGI, there's almost always a sci-fi movie in wide release. Yet somehow, more often than not, it's boring. Or a mess. Or, worst of all, a boring mess. For proof, go see Life this weekend. Seriously, it's not good, but a couple of years ago, we told you to support original sci-fi by buying tickets to Jupiter Ascending, and we're just not going to back down now. While you're watching Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal gamely trying to hunk up life's alien-like premise and predictable twist ending, your mind will wander. And at some point, you'll wonder, when did big space movies become such an unrelenting snooze? The answer to that, unfortunately, is when Hollywood started making sci-fi for everyone. Before you race into the comments to push your glasses up your nose, understand that this isn't a complaint about science fiction being popular. That's good news for everyone. Nor are we casting aspersions at pre-existing franchises that have star in the title or brainy adaptations like Arrival. But as the genre blasted into the mainstream, studios began treating them as investments and expecting a return on that investment in the form of huge opening weekends and international appeal. The bigger the investment, the riskier the return, which means that a pipeline full of movies that mimic other hits and star bankable actors. Call it the gravity effect. Once Sandra Bullock and George Clooney and some jaw-dropping effects wizardry entered the picture, space-based sci-fi officially became a tentpole event. The peak, and let's face it, valley of that trend, was last winter's Passengers. 
Aside from being a two-hour explanation of what consent isn't, it's also a big, beautiful movie about two uncommonly fit folks falling in love, while also being the only ones conscious on a decades-long journey to a new colony. In other words, it's lost in space with two hot people instead of a family. Or maybe cast away on an intergalactic shopping centre where the part of the volleyball is played by Jennifer Lawrence. Luckily for passengers, its leads were charismatic and it ended up making nearly $300 million worldwide. The space plus hotties equals bucks formula worked. But to anyone with even a passing familiarity of sci-fi, the horror of being stranded in space was well-trod ground. Meanwhile, a generational changing of the guard began to happen. When studios launched giant franchises, they increasingly tapped the filmmakers who had grown up on Spielberg and Ridley Scott, and last decade's wealth of mid-budget sci-fi began to dry up. Duncan Jones went from modest but inventive movies like Moon and Source Code to Warcraft. Ryan Johnson made Looper and now is directing Star Wars The Last Jedi. That leaves two categories in which sci-fi is actually likely to succeed, existing franchises and literary adaptations, which have the benefit of a story that was, hope you're sitting down, fully developed before it got greenlit by a studio. That's how you got 2014's Edge of Tomorrow. That's how you got The Martian, which managed to tap the stranded-in-space vein without feeling like it had been extruded from the surefire factory. It's how you got Arrival, which paired a promising young director, Sicario's Denis Villeneuve, with an emotionally rich short story, Ted Chang's Story of Your Life. But that's not how you got Life. Life, like Passengers, is a movie about familiar ideas, starring people we like to look at. The movie follows a crew on the International Space Station that takes a sample from Mars, brings it back to life, and then lives in fear as the sample turns into an alien that looks like a translucent starfish and threatens to pick them off one by one. Also, the alien is named Calvin, in case that matters. Anyway, in other words, it's mostly alien. The creators have copped to this, with a little Martian and gravity thrown in. It wants to have some event horizon, but it's not that terrifying. It's not that life is dead, it's just that it doesn't have any fresh blood. It'll likely make some money from people who've already seen Beauty and the Beast and can't bring themselves to see chips, but they'll all know what they're in for from beginning to end. And this is actually evident before the title card even appears on screen. As scientist Hugh Derry, played by Arian Bakar, attempts to bring his Martian specimen to life, Roy Adams, a.k.a. Reynolds, cracks wise. This is some re-animator shit. That's an obscure reference, says his colleague Rebecca North, played by Rebecca Ferguson. Not if you're a nerd, Roy and Derry respond immediately. Well, the thing is, everyone in the audience got the reference. They got it before the scene singled out the woman as the non-nerd in the room. It, like the rest of the movie, recalled some cold shit from yesteryear. And it was kind of funny, but the fact that it got explained implies that someone making life thought people wouldn't know its predecessors. That's a terrible setup and an even worse punchline. Hope you enjoyed this spoken edition of Wired News. And if you'd like more, search for Wired Science and Wired Business. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. 
You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.